Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Amy Romberg, it's so good to see you. How are you? Justin, was music ever one of your... I mean, I know cheerleading was up there for you, but yeah, the, yeah. the singing, I feel like often that comes when you're greeting me. I went to Seeliger Elementary School in Carson City, Nevada, which is the armpit of America. Actually, Reno is the armpit of America. We're kind of like armpit adjacent. And mm-hmm. I attended Seeliger Elementary School. We were the pirates, and I was in the Seeliger Singers. It was like a choir. And I remember we sang, what do we do with a drunken sailor? What do we do with a drunken sailor? We were saying like pirate shanties over our elementary school so I'm really wow I, really, I like the shanties very much yes how are you darling I'm good Justin getting back into the routine post holidays midst of COVID here we all are still keeping our heads afloat I want to invent a word that means like post COVID like COVID post COVID yeah only we may we get, get to there COVID someday at some point wouldn't that be great like before you got into real estate before you started using us as a home stager mm-hmm. you bought and sold a lot of houses right like you've been in that houses all the time we Yes, yes. And we bought more houses than we sold. Thank you to um, the person who wouldn't let us sell things, Beth Kellen. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, all, um, all roads lead yes. back to Beth, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yes, and I just, before this, was also someone who would try and drag anybody into open houses with me or mm-hmm. go myself, you know, whenever I saw one. So if you happen to be in the car with me, you might go to an open house on our way to brunch. <laughs> so we have always included like little Easter eggs, little things that we do in our home staging that give people clues that it's us versus somebody else. Mm-hmm. Were there things, if you, if you went and you saw a house, I'm sure you ran into our staging before, were there ways that you could identify that it was us? I feel like I have two things that really come to mind and I'm really curious. I just feel like the feel of your staging was so different for me okay. than, yeah. than a lot of other things I saw. Um, I feel like there are more people doing more interesting things now. Not that it's that many years ago. 13 years ago, years but ago yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably I wasn't looking that regularly that long ago. But I, th- so the two things that, the thing that first comes to mind are the pencils. Oh, yeah. There's pencils. always a, there's always like a yes. container with like 25 or 50 yellow number two pencils with perfect erasers in them. Yes. Yes, and I think that that spoke to my soul deeply <laughs> as someone who loves <laughs> loves to write with pencils. There was something about those pencils that I was like, God, do you think they'd notice if I just took a couple? Like, <laughs> no. I never did. I never did. But they just really, there was just a tone that that set. And then also I feel like the typewriters, um, um, the yes. typewriters with something that was always, I don't know, I just feel like it set the tone between those two things that spoke to my personal soul. So the typewriters came about because we didn't, want to use fake computers and fake TVs because I feel like Ah. a fake computer it says you're dumb enough to believe that this is a real computer and that you would sit here and like it kind of draws you out of this idea that like this is a real house where I could really live where I could really put my computer down and the joke is also on the viewer the joke is on the buyer and the buyer is the person we're supposed to like win we want them to trust us (sighs) 
I think that what the, t- the typewriter says, this is where your computer would go and you are in on the joke because you know that this is not a computer, you know it's a typewriter. And yeah. so it's enough to give the idea like, look, this is an office, but ha ha, you're in nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, clearly you would never use a vintage typewriter. There's kind of an Easter egg within an Easter egg there because our name is Spade and Archer and it comes from a movie called The Maltese Falcon. And in the ah. typewriter, there is always one page that is, has typing all over it and it's the script of The Maltese Falcon. It's like page 17 oh, oh of the gosh. script of The Maltese Falcon. And so it's like, this little clue that's like this is where our name came from you wouldn't ever know that unless you were like about one in a hundred people are like oh it's the Maltese Falcon it's the scene where Sam Spade is being introduced to Mrs. O'Shaughnessy Bridget Bridget O'Shaughnessy or something like that she's like the client Mm -hmm. for the Maltese Falcon and Effie hates her because O'Shaughnessy is like beautiful like statuesque woman and Effie's kind of like you know Girl Friday and it's the scene where like they're being introduced to each other so it's like this little clue about our name where where the heck our name comes from I love it I love that little buried piece of Spade and Archer lore that is awesome little tiny bit yeah we do the same thing like we don't use fake television sets either Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. in lieu of the fake television set we will put a piece of art on the wall like over a buffet that kind of shows where the entertainment center would go and on that buffet we always do like a vintage eight millimeter projector which nobody uses anymore Uh, because like why would you use that but it's enough to say like this is where your media would go and 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 you're in on the joke too so i bought like really big ikea picture frames and i put black paper in them to make them look like tv screens that were turned off and they were so cheesy and so bad i was like no we're not doing this and like those prop tvs are like as expensive as real tvs they're crazy expensive we only had one easter egg in the beginning and the easter egg was a vintage radio in the kitchen and it's because since the day I married my husband our kitchen has always had a vintage radio in it and every morning we walk in there and he turns on the radio and it's the kind that has the tubes in it so it takes like five minutes to warm up and then all of a sudden the voice starts out quietly and and then eventually like you know the news comes on and, and, and there's somebody talking in our kitchen we've always had a vintage radio in our kitchen and so we started buying up all these vintage radios because nobody wants them who listens to the radio anymore right and so we bought up all these vintage radios i think we bought every vintage radio ever sale ever in portland ever and we put one in every kitchen that we staged there's always a vintage radio and it was just something that we were like we just want to leave some kind of calling card just something and now i'm realizing that like the pencils, I never even thought about it. Like, that is something. Oh, I we love al- it. it. We is. always leave an open cookbook in the kitchen. There's, yep. uh, you know, it's always an open cookbook. The sheets are always white. Like, the, we don't yeah. use any other color sheets. The towels are always white. Um, there's yeah. little things like that. But, like, you know, there's just these little Easter eggs that just say, like, this is us. We're here. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I love the vintage radio story. I'm going to, I can picture them in your staging. I cannot picture them in your home kitchens. So I'm going to have to pay, pay more attention. Next time you come over for dinner. When we're social again. (laughs) It's one that's actually like still works. A lot of them don't work anymore, which is why, why we have so many of them. But this one, this one still works. We've had this one in our kitchen for gosh, at this point, I think the last one failed maybe 15 years ago. And so we've had this one for like 15 years. And it's from from the 1940s, 1950s, somewhere around there. There's also something so aesthetically pleasing about them to me. Like they take me to a place I like. It's interesting. People either love them like you 
or they mm-hmm. absolutely hate them. And I think it's generational. Really? Yeah, generational. Like Gen Xers love them because yeah. they see it as something really cool that their grandparents had because their grandparents yeah. gave them money and candy. So their grandparents were cool, right? And so yeah. you see this radio and like, oh, it's just like grandma's radio. Whereas like boomers see that and they're like, oh, that's my parents' crap. Boomers hate the vintage radios. They hate them. Millennials and Gen Zers, they're fine with it. They're kind of indifferent to it. Millennials, like they have the whole thing like with the vintage cameras that millennials would carry around yeah. and like take pictures yeah. with film. They have this whole vintage thing that they love too as well, which is funny. Yeah. You would think that after 13 years that like, you know, the vintage thing, it would start to go out of style. <laughs> but I think they're so far out of style that they just don't go out of style anymore. So we, Katie. Um, yes, we, we put together, I, I, I so screwed up. So I was talking to Katie and we were talking, I was doing the pre-interview and I was like, so who's like your favorite celebrity? And she's like, oh, Leslie Mann. So great. And I was like, oh, we should totally get Leslie Mann to come in and have cocktails with you. I'm like, what's your favorite cocktail? She's like, I really like margaritas. And I was like, oh, cool. Because I just, I was down in Mexico for a couple of weeks last month and they were making me these passion fruit margaritas with chili lime salt garnished with a dried mm. banana. And they were so so fantastic. I was like, you and Leslie Mann are going to love this. Except for that, I didn't know who Leslie Mann was. And I thought Leslie Mann was Leslie Jordan. And Leslie Mann is actually a female. She's Judd Apatow's wife. And she was in like Freaks and Geeks <laughs> and 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yes. Um, well, uh, and, and Katie's favorite movie, This is 40. Well, I, I hired Leslie Jordan to come hang out with her. <laughs> <laughs> who is but like completely opposite, Amazing. like short, little tiny gay man with a high whiny voice. Like she's so awesome. But um, I couldn't cancel his contract. And so I just, I got Leslie Jordan and Leslie Mann to come and hang out with her. So she's hanging out oh, with the Leslie's back there. That's why I keep hearing giggles. It's like, yes, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to run back and grab Katie. I'll be right back. Okay. Fantastic. Amy, let me introduce you to Katie Sangstead. Katie, I've been working together forever. She's been back in the green room. Katie, this is Amy. And just say hi. Katie, hi. it is <laughs> lovely to meet you. I, I hear so much about you, so it's always so nice to put um, a face with a name, even if you podcast listeners can't see the face. <laughs> Definitely. Finally, finally an <laughs> opportunity to meet you too, Amy. Thank you. So I have a confession to make, Katie. I messed up on your green room request. I you told me that you were that you were a huge fan of Leslie Mann, who was apparently a female. I heard Leslie Mann, and I was just like, "Oh, it must be a man named Leslie." And I booked Leslie Jordan to come have cocktails with you, passion fruit margaritas. Um, and then I found out that Leslie Mann was actually a different person. Actually, Leslie Jordan was the one who told me. So I booked Leslie Mann really fast. So you had you had cocktails with the Leslies. How was it? <laughs> Great. I'd never even heard of Leslie Jordan before. So. There was a lot he's, going on back he's there. He's a hoot. We could hear the laughter just coming from the green room. So, Katie, tell us how long you've been in real estate. 18 years. Almost exact. Happy anniversary. That is fantastic. You're, you're now a legal adult when it comes to real estate. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can buy cigarettes and pornography. All about real estate. It's going to be fantastic. All of which are needed. Um, okay, good, good. Okay, so where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? What did you, how, where did you start off in your career? How did this all happen? Um, I grew up in Portland, um, through high school in Portland, and then um, went to University of Washington for a few years and ended up transferring to Oregon and graduated from there. What was your major? What would you, what would you? Spanish was my major. Uh, <laughs> ah, 
habla espanol. I wish. Um, not so much anymore. Definitely need to practice it. Um, Katie, my be. major was French. I feel like oh. it's it's trickling out of the back of my brain every day. Yes, so every day. You know. <laughs> Why did you choose French? I had been an exchange student and because I wanted to study abroad. And those seem like really great reasons at the time. I love it. Okay. <laughs> not very practical. I mean, I, lo- I loved it. Sort of similar reasons. Not actually out of a love for it, but it was out of a pressure to, to graduate in four years. Yes. And um, I thought, well, what is the what is the easiest path here? After switching majors so many times, I was kind of out of time. And um, Oh my gosh, I can relate. And Spanish was the one I knew I could get done. Yes. Um, I had been an exchange student too. In seventh grade, we had to pick a language and I picked French because even back then I was a pretentious gay man. And I was like, I'm speaking French, probably vous français. Um, so, okay. So you graduate from school. What do you, what do you go into? I have had so many jobs. Immediately went to Colorado where I worked, I had like 15 jobs in Colorado. I lived in a little ski town and I had waitressing jobs, which I was horrible at. Um, I worked at the county commissioners. I worked in a law office. I was a bank teller, which was also horrible at. Um, I had too many jobs to count because it was really expensive to live there. Um, came back and actually worked in real estate for a couple of years. Worked for Todd Prendergast's coming. It was his dad yeah. actually, Pat, got my license at that time. And Todd's the Todd's the owner of Windermere Realty Trust, right? Yes. At yes. this point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, but he was at that time just an sales agent. We had like a, a group that sold Pat Prendergast and Homer Williams selling like the the first development of the Pearl District. And so it was like a little oh. captive sales office. And I didn't have my license. I was just the office manager. And then I got my license a year into it and did start to do a little sales. But I was very, very immature. It ended up getting a, having a sale agreement on a condo. I was dating the man that I'm now married to, but I just all of a sudden felt like oh my gosh, life is getting so serious, you know, buying a place, dating Mm. somebody who's talking seriously. I'm just not ready for this. So I, um, and I went to Asia for a couple of years, um, (laughs) just to do something. You're like, this is way too serious. I'm going to Asia. Yeah. So I was like, what can I do that would take me as far away from where I am and what I'm doing? And that was Asia. Um, and then I came back and was a teacher for... Were, were you Were you working while you were in Asia? I taught English as a second language. Um, and So that was how I... It's basically just a means to then fund travel. So then from there, I did travel to different places. And then the last six months, I... Um, I did a lot of trekking and like meditation courses and that kind of thing in India. So I spent about six months between Nepal and India working and hiking. And I'm sure you just grew up so tremendously. Yes, it was, yeah. it really was what I needed. Um, and looking back, I'm proud of myself for, you know, it was more just like a violent reaction to what I was doing. <laughs> it was just like, oh, yes. you know, so I can't say that I had a lot of thought. The night before I left, I remember my mom had some person over. Do you know anybody where you're going? And I said, no, I don't really. And he's like, do you know where you're going to stay? And I said, (laughs) no, not yet. And he said, well, do you speak the language? And I said, no, I don't. And he left after, you know, grilling me. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I just dissolved into tears and thought, what am I doing? What did I do? You know, why did I, you know, my mom gave me the best little piece of advice. And she's like, okay, well, let's say you get on the plane and you don't meet anybody on the plane on the long, long plane trip over to Taiwan. Um, nobody, nobody talks to you. You don't know anybody. You get off the plane. You don't know, have any idea. There's nobody who speaks English, zero ability to to get anywhere or do anything. She said, you spend the night in the airport 
and you book your return flight and you have one of the funniest stories to tell. And I thought, okay, that actually, that makes sense to me. And of course, everything of the opposite happened, right? I, people on the airplane, they were so friendly. Tons of people spoke English. It was, it all happened um, just because I thought I was able to envision what the worst case was and it it wasn't so bad. It's such a great, it's such an interesting form of parenting or mentorship because at, in my late 40s now, I think would be terrified to fly somewhere that I didn't know the language, where I didn't have a place to stay, where I didn't know anybody. And your mom saw that you had this benefit of youth and not knowing, this yeah. ignorance of, of knowing how bad it could possibly be. And she centered it on just this one aspect that said like, hey, if you get there and you can't do this. She didn't do what the fellow who had been over, which was like basically pointed out all of the mistakes that you were making and basically said like, hey, this is the one chance <laughs> in your lifetime you're able to do this. Go do it. Because I mean, I think about that yeah. as an adult. Somebody asked me the other day, like if you could start over and, and start Spade and Archer all over again, would you do it? And I was like, hell no. Yeah. That, is, that is way too much risk. I'm too old for that. I was 35 when I did this. <laughs> There's no way. So you come back, you you jump into, is it .com? You were in technology for a while? Well, not immediately. I um I taught Spanish at a high school in Ilwaco, Washington. You used Washington your degree. Well done. For yes. a year. That was also horrible. I was the worst teacher you could possibly imagine those poor kids. Um, and so that didn't go very well. During that time, so Astoria, I don't know if you know this, rains, I think, like 310 days out of the year. Yeah. Um, and it's also a pretty hard community to get into um, as a young person. So there's there's a great community there, but it's hard to penetrate. And so I was single and had a, for me, a very challenging job and, um, and it rained all the time. Oh. And so uh, it was a tough year. And so I found myself going back to Portland often and I ran into my now husband who oh. I dated before I left <laughs> and we reconnected. And then that ended up bringing me back to Portland. And then I got into the dot-com jobs. When you jumped into real estate, how did you decide where you were going to go? What was your path to get to Windermere where you are now? I interviewed with different companies and I interviewed with um, Realty Trust um, and I interviewed with Hassan. And for a variety of reasons, I ended up at Hassan to begin with um, mm-hmm. and loved it. Uh, learned so much from the super experienced um, agents. At that time, they weren't hiring any new agents and it was just a wealth of knowledge and I learned a ton. Um, then they started to get big and expand and have all these layers. But then I that's when the then the crash something, but they had to start shutting down offices. So when they shut down their uptown office, I was forced to make a decision, and I hadn't been so happy with kind of the growth of the company. So I switched uh, at that time. I switched to um, another at the time, kind of smaller, almost like boutique or yeah, yeah, just a more of a personal connection between or or how you know was perceived by me. You know that mm-hmm, it may have mm-hmm. been it has before I let you know. This is all just outside perception, but connected and a relationship between management and um, agents. Was that when you jumped over to Windermere or? That's when I jumped over to Realty Trust and then Realty Trust um, ah, while Realty I Trust was became there. became Windermere, yes. Became Windermere. Um, what's, the, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing in real estate these days? Like, what do you find <laughs> to be difficult? <laughs> how, how to prioritize. Um, <laughs> you know, probably the biggest thing is just technology. Uh, ironically, I find that technology while it makes our lives so much easier in some respects has actually made it a lot harder in most respects Um, for me. um, It's made things happen so on such a faster pace 
things happen faster. The time to, to think and process is, is much faster for both myself and for clients. It's just made it easier to become less connected personally mm-hmm. to people. I mean, you can, you can meet over Zoom instead of in person. You can, um, you can text instead of call. You can send forms over DocuSign instead of um, meeting them in person. And, um, and so that's easier, but then it's really easy to become complacent um, and to forget the nuances of interpersonal communication, face-to-face, voice-to-voice. Um, right. Yeah. And, and I have to say that I, um, while I personally much prefer interpersonal voice to voice, you know, that's why I went to Hassan and that's why I went to Real to Trust is because I want the connection. I found myself my own worst, like I don't always practice what I preach and I can slip into the habit of like, oh, I'll just text. Oh, I'll yeah. just, you know, because it seems easier. But in the end, it can cause more problems, you know, so I'm, I've learned this slowly and painfully that it can be easier at the beginning to text or do something like digitally. But in the end, it may be better to take the time. We recently implemented a bunch of technology into our company where it used to take a week or so to get a price for a project. And now you go on, you use the instant pricing tool and within five minutes, you have a price, which people love. That part is great. You don't have to get, you know, super deep into a conversation and it's much faster than it used to be. But we also implemented using DocuSign. And I know you guys use Real estate agents use DocuSign all the time. We send anywhere from five to 25 pages long doc contracts. And the fastest anybody has ever signed it was 47 seconds. (laughs) So literally we sent it and it timestamps everything that happens, right? We send it and 47 seconds later, we had a 25 page document signed. (laughs) And it put fear in me for that client because I feel like the convenience is this exchange for education. And so are you finding that educating your clients is a lot more difficult when when you're not with them as much as you used to be? Absolutely. Because I, you know, also I think that, I mean, at least the way I learn, it's, it's hard to explain things over the phone, you know, so you get the longer the real estate contracts get, the longer documents get, and then you're just zipping them over to them digitally. DocuSign just runs you through it and you just click, click, click. So I have found that so many clients, um, they click without really knowing or reading. And so I, I'm having to take extra, this is why it's so interesting, right? It's fast to send the DocuSign, but it actually ends me, takes up more of my time because I then send another email in addition to DocuSign saying, here it is in another format because I really wanted to make sure you review it. Then I call them and say, I really want to make sure you review it. it. It's very rare now that you get a client that does take the time and they kind of stand out. And uh, I had a client recently who, Nicole, who, um, who was very thoughtful and I, it made me so grateful and appreciative because I knew that she was taking responsibility for everything that she was signing. But she said, you know, I had, she had this experience. She said, I just want to run this by you. She was um, signing some of the escrow documents. Um, and they, you know, the numbers on the settlement sheet weren't quite adding up to exactly what she thought they would be. And, and that is often the case because you're signing several days ahead of time and things kind of get worked out to the penny at the very last day. And it's like ish. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, and she said, you know, they said that, but she said, it's kind of weird that I'm like signing something that isn't accurate that, you know, so they're having me sign it to say that I agree or acknowledge this, but it's not, we all are saying it's not really accurate and it doesn't say anywhere estimated. And she said, I, you know, 
it just feels weird. And I'm like, I, I get it. And, you know, and we worked out a solution, you know, where she didn't sign it. Um, just because just out of principle, she said, I know I'm being picky, but it's, you know, why? And, and I agreed. I'm like, yeah. of course, you know, why, why, why bother signing something? Anyway, it's just a, it's an interesting world that we live in this and we're all just kind of get, oh, just sign it. You know, all the, yeah. it's all so, the iTunes and Apple and all that kind of stuff. Just, just agree. Just, you know, click. That yeah. is, we are so conditioned to do that. It is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Just last night spent about, an hour on the phone with this first time home buyer going over the sales contract because she was someone who wanted to go through it together bit by bit before she signed it. And it was amazing. I haven't really had someone who wanted to go into the level of detail that she did. And it took us a long time. And at the end, I could tell she was just sort of bleary eyed. But I did walk away from that feeling like, great, I have set the foundation for this, you know, for this thing that is so important going into looking at homes. She's going to have an understanding of what she's signing rather than just clicking that, oh, I agree. (laughs) Exactly. And not understanding it. And that was probably hard for you too. I mean, cause oh, you're, yeah. if you don't do it every day, you're out of practice yes. uh, on, you know, when's the last time I've read through it all. I just know, I know it, but yes. you know, have I read it more, you know, recently from beginning to end? No, there was, yeah. there were definitely a couple of things that I was like, I'm actually going to reach out and make sure I understand this correctly because mm-hmm. we don't get into that level of, you know, we don't get into the weeds with it usually with most, most folks. That's an interesting thing too, because mm-hmm. with your contracts, they are written by somebody else. There's kind of a standardized contract. Mm-hmm that most of these most of these documents are used for me I actually wrote my contract like I hired my lawyer and sat down and and minute by minute so I know my contract you back know and the forth, ins and outs but not because I read it yeah. because I wrote it yeah. yeah and the only people who ever call and ever question guess what their job is just take a wild swing attorneys attorneys yep. attorneys read everything and they're used to reading and they don't go blurry eyed because I mean yeah. at this point reading is even difficult they're like like do you have an audiobook version of your contract because <laughs> This is not working for me. But, you know, when they go through and they ask those questions, a lot of times it's like, I end up answering the question like, look, this is what the contract says. This is what we actually do. Because the contract is going to be slightly more stringent than what we do in real life. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they come back and they say, you know what, close enough. I'm good with that. Because our contract is written in a very fair way. But to be a real estate agent and the forms that you guys get a lot of times, I mean, they're like, you know, uh, 18, 18 inches long and the print is like minuscule. You have to be a 12 year old to be able to read it. It's written in very legalese. Mm -hmm. And those are, those are tough things. Like if you're not a lawyer and you're trying to explain that thing to somebody in layman's terms, it's a, ooh, yipes. I do not envy that at all. Agents who write, you know, their own paperwork, right? So addendums and that kind of thing. That's very far from legalese. It's a, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting. Interesting. Dichotomy. Absolutely. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. They're like, hey, you all going to leave those things in the laundry room? Yeah. Like, that's how it's written. <laughs> yes. Like, uh, yeah. Please define things. Yes. Please define leave. Um, yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> so much. Just sign it. It's fine. Just leave those things in there. That'd be great. Tell us about your your absolute hardest day in real estate. Last year was a tough, <laughs> tough year. Tell us about um, your hardest year in real estate. Yeah. yeah. The whole year was hard. Challenging circumstances. And I think people, you know, understandably were at their most stressed for a lot of people. It was just a stressful time. Um, and I would say the most challenging was one in which I made a mistake where I 
represented that the siding on a property was wood when um, it in fact wasn't. To my credit, um, it was really hard to know that it wasn't wood. Uh, it wasn't like your typical hardy plank or, you know, LP siding. Um, a lot of the homes in that neighborhood, which I've also sold, were wood. And it's of the era where wood was frequently most often used. So it wasn't something that I, that was readily apparent to me. And the prior RMLS also said wood. So I, I filled out the all the listing paperwork, the data input and that kind of stuff. Of course, sent it to my client for their review and they signed off. They docu signed it. Yeah. They, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. Right? yeah. But then the home wasn't, you know, we got multiple offers, went well over asking so far, come to find out that it wasn't wood siding. And that came through the inspection. Not only was it not wood, but it, it was a siding that was apparently known to be um, problematic to fail. You know, it's not one of the commonly known ones. And I notified my client, uh, my sellers, I got a, the most memorable verbal lashing <sighs> that I've gotten um, from both of them at different times. Um, and that was hard. I, I don't think I've ever been talked to in such a way. Um, it was rough. I listened to it. I mean, what else are you going to do? Did it kill the deal? It didn't kill the deal. I, it, so the saving grace was the buyer's agent on the other side who was amazing. Her whole team, they were so, so professional and so understanding and, and so experienced. And I, I just apologized profusely. I said, this is my fault. Just assumed it was wood. And this is why. And, you know, we worked it out. They got a, a credit for it. Um, was the buyer's agent that for me stood out and made it all doable um, because she and her team um, were able to just keep be level-headed and just say, okay, well, it is what it is. Let's, you know, wh- what are we going to do? Here are our options, right? And um, and then I was able to do the same to, on my seller side to say, you know, okay, whatever happened, happened. So what 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 do you want to do now? Um, mm-hmm. You still want to sell the home. We got it to the end and I was able to, um, you know, gracefully say goodbye to my clients who were relocating and, and put that behind me. That day stood out. I mean, I was in a parking lot in my car um, being just, <laughs> it was pretty bad. One of our four core values at Spade and Archer is grace. It's the most difficult one because you can't practice being graceful. You can't um, prepare for it. It's one of those things where you are presented with a situation where somebody screws up around you. And in that moment, when you want to be mad, when you want to be upset, when you want to do the verbal tongue lashing that you say, hey, you know what? We all make mistakes. We all need a little bit of grace, especially, you know, during COVID times. We all, there's a lot of hard situations out there and nobody wants to be a screw up right now. When you take the moment, when that other agent took the moment to be the the shining light in the situation and to provide you with just a touch of grace. It costs her nothing. And someday down the road, she's going to screw up and somebody's going to give her a little bit of grace and it will come back tenfold. And that's, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing I remember. And, and, you know, here you are telling the story and you in your heart know that this is a good person. Yeah. Yeah. She made it okay for you. Yeah. That recognition that I think I shared this on the podcast, Justin, where you interviewed me in the beginning, but this was my worst day. (laughs) Obviously I I have some, I have fewer years than, than you do, Katie, but, um, but I, I made a mistake pretty early on. I just, I forgot to ask, to attach a really important addendum and I lost my mind. I was so upset. I was so stressed out. The agent on the other end just picked up the phone and he was like, Oh yeah, we're all human. It happens. Which of course made me just want to cry more because he was so graceful and he was, 
Yes, he was so, and I will have a place in my heart for him forever. He was just sort of like, oh yeah. And I think in that moment, just being able to remind each other that we are all human and that being, you know, messing things up and making, you know, big things difficult is just a part of what we accidentally do sometimes. And I yeah. I do think sometimes our clients were, were paid to be graceful and we're paid to, to take some of that sometimes yes. in ways that it is really the whipping boy. Yeah, yeah. is mm. really challenging. And sometimes I I think our clients could be reminded, you know, on those hard days, because obviously these transactions are stressful for them as well. And we're all our baseline level these days is all of us just stressed. <laughs> so I, I very, very much understand the emotion that my clients have. Yeah. Um but I was just so grateful for it because yeah. that's the only thing that got me through because it was um hard to initially to buck up and continue to after the words that were used to me, you know, to continue to to you know, to get up the courage basically to continue yeah. to call them and get through the end. It was, you yeah. know, yes. uh, it was a little yes. bit. The no, last thing you want to do is talk yeah. to yeah. them again. Each time yeah. was a little bit fearful, um, but it was, I kind of felt like I had a little team around me. Um, yes. The support of them at my cooperative broker yeah. and, um, and just the support of knowing that you, that there are other professional colleagues out there and that we do cooperate, you know, the cooperative yes. broker thing um, that, yeah. you know, that has a big importance and it really matters, you know, in who you're working with, you know, when you're yeah. looking at, and it comes up in a lot of occasions when, especially with all these multiple offers, um, tell you the times that, you know, that is part of the discussion, just, you know, experience and, um, and honestly, you know, to some extent reputation and ultimately yeah. the sellers make the decision, but you know, you, that's one of the things that we can add is to say, you know, here's what I know. And yep. I, I could honestly say like this agent, I know is a cooperative person. They want to, they see the mutual goal. They see the bigger picture. That's a feather in the cap of that buyer to have that agent. This is the purpose of this podcast. We we have asked this question in every single interview we've ever done is what was your hardest day in real estate? And the reason we do that is because we want the lone wolves out there. So many of you work by yourselves to know that you're not the only fuck up out there. (laughs) There are other people (laughs) out there who have made mistakes too. You are human. We are all human. And so to end it on a better note, can you tell us about (laughs) your best day in real estate, please? Is it okay to say like, an experience, a, spe- a specific experience that I had. Yes, I don't please. know that it was yes. a specific day, um, yeah. but it was a client that had, um, who had called me out. I did, had never met them. Uh, called me out of the blue because a neighbor who I had worked with referred them. Um, she had her house on the market at the time um, and it just wasn't selling. And this was this last year. And that was unusual to begin with, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's tough not to sell a home um, with inventory <laughs> levels that we have. And so I pulled it up and, um, you know, and some homes truly are tough. They've got just a crazy floor plan or whatever. They're on a super Busy duper, street. they're on the highway yeah. or, you know, I've had mm-hmm. those. So sometimes yeah. it's like, so I, I quickly pulled it up and I was trying to think like newer construction home, it's in a good neighborhood, like what is going on here? Um, and so I, you know, tried to figure it out. And, um, and I did think that like a lot of it had to do, it wasn't a staged home. And this isn't a story just because I'm on the Spade and Archer <laughs> podcast. It's not. Um, but Yay, it, it, keep it, going, keep it, going. I know, it's, but it's the truth. You know, it wasn't a staged home. Interestingly enough, also the strategy of the agent at the time was to you know, they put it on the market, not staged. It wasn't, while it was a new construction floor plan that had one of those tight living rooms that was kind of like hard to furnish and mm-hmm. wasn't furnished. That, and then one of the rooms right off the entry was 
in a way it was like, okay, so there were some obvious like problems that, you know, if it had been priced well, maybe it would, would have sold. But after not selling for maybe a month, they raised the price, which also was interesting. So, you know, it was reverse psychology. That's, that's a strategy. Yeah. Maybe, that's a strategy. You know? <laughs> anyway. Um, so that, relationship came to an end. Um, I listed the home, we got it staged and we priced it in a way to sell. And it ended up selling with multiple offers within a couple of days wow. or more, you know, and that's, I, I'm saying that that's easy to do, right? Easy enough to do to sell a home with multiple offers in a couple of days in Portland. I mean, it's super easy. If you do it right, right. I mean, it's but, also super easy to not do that. Right. <laughs> and so that was my, what stood out to me was like, oh, it, oftentimes we at, we get to prove our value in real estate, I think, through the hard times. Like if everything goes well and it's super easy, it's like, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. It seems so easy. So when we really prove our value is when there's things go wrong and you're like, okay, I know how to do this. And I, you know, let me navigate this for you. So, but we don't want to wish for something to go wrong to show our value. So this was one of the few occasions last year where I was able to show my value in a positive way um, and stand out. And so that it just made me feel good. You know, being able to bring that to the table is that is like the deep satisfaction of this work sometimes where you're like, there's this problem. I know how to fix it. Your clients are so grateful and it's so exciting. That's the part of this business that is just so much fun. Yes. When you're appreciated, right? that's, that's it. I had, when I was at, at Peacock Construction, I was a general contractor for a number of years. So I had a, a boss, his name was Richard Chaddock. He was an incredibly insightful man. And he would say to me very often, chance favors the prepared. You know, it, 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 yeah, it's super easy to do it right. But you have to actually do it right. And I've talked to yeah. so many agents so many times. And they're like, oh, my client's going to do a $20,000 price drop. I'm like, okay, but you know that like guaranteed staging for this project would be like $10,000. Like for half the price of yeah. your price drop. You can do this without spending any money at, it, at all. And when we prepare our projects properly and we put them on the market the first time, we have such a better chance of getting them sold. And so I, I tell myself that all the time, chance fair is prepared. If there's a problem, then I have a choice between addressing it or ignoring it. I want to address it because chance favors the prepared. And I talk about it over and over and over and over again. So I'm with you. I think that is a great story. Thank you for plugging home staging. I much <laughs> appreciate it. Um, um, Katie, what is the best place for folks to find you? My website, probably. Um, or just my phone. Okay, katiesayingsteak.com. And it's uh, the spelling will be in the, the title of the podcast. That's You'll be able a to mouthful get it. it's of a name, isn't uh, it? <laughs> yeah, S-E-N-G-S-T-A-K-A, saying steak. So yes. Katie with an I-E. I love it. That's nice. fantastic. Do you want to hand out your phone number on the podcast? It's up to you. Sure. In the spirit of getting back to old-fashioned communication. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 503-504-6225. Fantastic. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for being here. Katie is with Windermere Real Estate in the Portland area. You can find her at katiesaintstate.com and we're going to send you back to the green room. Amy, do you want to take her back? You can meet Leslie Mann and Leslie Jordan. Maybe yes. even have a passion fruit margarita. Yes. I heard that it helps cure the COVID, that passion fruit <laughs> does. So it's good stuff. Fantastic. Ask us a few laughs with Leslie. She's, yes. She's the best. Humor cures all. How delightful and interesting and and graceful is Katie Sangsteak? She's lived and has done such tremendous things. I wrote to her, I, I wrote an email and I said, hey, I think, you know, we've been working together for like 12 years. I think she was a very early adopter. I wrote to her an email and I said, hey, I think it's time for you to be on the podcast. 
And she went back and she was like, number one, my story is super boring. Number two, <laughs> this is really outside my comfort zone, which means I need to do this. And I was like, oh, oh I, I love, love this it. idea. Yeah. Like yes. she went and like just traveled around Asia and came back like yeah. on a whim. Like there's nothing boring about your story. Like it was so vulnerable, so intimate. Yeah. I loved her story. But what I loved even more was that this idea was that it made her uncomfortable. And she was like, I have to do this. Yeah. So in yeah. 2022, what's making you uncomfortable? Like, what are you, what are you going to do that is like, this is different? Okay. I feel like I'm still in the residual of like uh, changing careers and stepping into real estate. And that mm-hmm. still makes me a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm, <laughs> if mm-hmm. I'm honest. Every day. Um, yeah. Every day. Like I'm uh, ready for some comfort. If you could yes. just hand me a Snuggie, that'd be great. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's some things that I'm like, oh, I got that. I can do that. You know, but there, I think that it is a business where everything is so different every time you you work with clients. It all, it all looks so different. I mean, I think for me, the relational piece is always there. Like I know how to do that. I know how to create relationships. So it's the other pieces. You know, Justin, I don't know if I ever talked too much about this, but when you asked me if I was interested in, in co-hosting this with you, I I feel like there was a part of me inside was like, are you joking? Like, <laughs> that, this is completely outside my comfort zone. And I, I think I had a similar response. I think we learn so much when we step outside our comfort zones, as miserable as it can be sometimes. Although this experience with you has, of course, not been miserable. It can be really hard to do that, but I think it's so important. Yeah, I think it just continues to force us to to ride an edge where there's so much learning and growth and vulnerability that takes place. Yeah. What about you? I'm one of those guys that I go on vacation to Palm Springs two or three times a year. I stay at the same hotel room. I stay in the same room, not just the same hotel, <laughs> the same room. I eat at all the same restaurants. I go to the, because to me, familiarity is very, very comfortable. Like yeah. I, it makes it so easy that usually when you go on vacation, you spend the first three days just like figuring out like how to ask for the bathroom, right? Like yes. you're, you're, you're very much outside your comfort zone. And so this year, my husband and I have actually hit our 20th wedding anniversary. It's in April. Mm. Um, and in gay years, that's like 75 straight years. So like, yes. we've been married forever. Forever. Um, so we are going to Belize and we're going to go scuba diving. I haven't been scuba diving since I was like 10 or 12 years old, something like that, maybe 14. Uh, but I'm actually taking scuba diving classes right now. Oh and my it gosh. Is really outside my comfort zone. Like really outside my comfort zone. And yes. I'm really enjoying it. And I feel like I'm being productive. You know, there comes a point in a business owner's career where you're not really in charge of day-to-day operations anymore. Yeah. And I've gotten yeah. to that point where like I'm not in it to win it every single time. And it's talk about this concept of like letting go of the vine. Like I'm hanging off the edge of a cliff and I'm holding on to this vine so hard and I'm like, help me, help me. And this is like an old story from entrepreneurs operating system, EOS. And I'm holding on to this vine and I shout up into the heavens, is there anybody up there can help me please? And, he, and, the, and the voice comes down and he says, let go of the vine. <laughs> and, and I think about it for a moment and I said, is there anybody else up there that can help me? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I'm in the process of like really letting go of the vine and allowing the people who run the company to actually allow, run the company without my input. And that is very, very uncomfortable for me. And yeah. so I'm trying to find ways to occupy my time and my days that doesn't involve me meddling in my people's operations. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a new one for me. So. Meddling. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Those meddling kids. Yeah. Yes. That's, I mean, I'm sure it is your baby in so many 
ways. And I'm sure the process of like stepping back and stepping back and I mean, it's it's what I think so many folks who start businesses hope to get to someday. But I think the challenges of that, like, I mean, I think that in and of itself is operating outside of your comfort zone because you've been in it. You've had your fingers in everything for so long. And I know it's been a process of getting further back. I mean, for years, I worked between 60 and 80 hours a week for years and now I'm working four hours a day and there is this weird mix between like you know woohoo I'm the champion I won the pie and then there's this other part of me that's like I don't know if you know this I was raised Catholic and Jewish (laughs) so like half the fun twice the guilt so there's a lot of guilt like inside of me that says like I should be working hard or I should be doing something and it's it's tough for me to pull back and just let them because they do they do such good work the project work is so beautiful it's always on time you know this like somewhere somebody had to trust you to do the work you did somebody somewhere had to keep themselves from getting in your way and you know that you're just gonna just gets complicated when you're in there when you've hired folks to do this work and then all of a sudden you're like oh but let me get my finger back in there so totally and you know and we talk about this idea that that we are the only ones who can control that yeah. nobody else in control of how we feel or what we get offended mm-hmm. by or what we how we are emotional or any of those things. And we only are allowed to control ourselves and we can't control anybody else. If somebody else gets upset, I can't stop them from being upset. Like it's not mm-hmm. that's not how it works. You know, in in this idea of control, that when you're the when you're the business owner, when you're the prime person, you're like, I can always count on me because it's me. I hold mm-hmm. myself accountable. And so a lot of having other people start to run the business is that we have these accountabilities. And so we set goals and then we try to hit those goals and there's accountabilities for it. Like we come back and we say every week, we're like, okay, did you hit your goals? Did you do what you were supposed to do? Did you finish your to-do list? This is your accountability. And so having those accountabilities make it so that I can go back and I can look at a very simple spreadsheet. And this Cole, Cole's the guy who runs the company at this point. Mm -hmm. He set it up so that like the spreadsheet changes colors if we met the goal or not. So it's green if we met the goal and it's red and it's not. So like, I can look at the spreadsheet and like in three seconds I can see if we met our goals or not. And it's been really interesting because we have so many accountabilities now. And so making the people yeah. around us accountable for what they're doing, man, I got to tell you, when you give somebody accountabilities, they take ownership of it. Like I own that. I am in charge and I'm going to make yeah. sure for my own self-esteem and my own pride, I'm going to make sure I hit my accountability. So absolutely. What's next for you, darling? Just trying to figure out how to, how to jump into this year. We just took, I took a couple weeks off because we were out of town, which was really glorious. I feel like maybe that's riding a bit of a a discomfort line for me these days is trying to, like, it's really hard to put this down and feel like it's okay for me to do that. I didn't turn anything away, but I didn't actively pursue anything. And I didn't sort of reach out to my networks. And and I did a lot of that over the holidays, of course. But I think there's a couple different areas in this this business that are uncomfortable for me that I want to get more comfortable with this year. And, you know, I think there's always easy spots to f- to find where I'm, you know, feel out of my depth and, and would like to just get more, you know, in the beginning, you're just drinking from a fire hose. There's so yeah. much, you're just in survival mode. And so yes. it's like, okay, I can process a little bit about this, but don't give me too much because I got to shut that door. I can't, my brain cannot absorb or hold more than what's going on. So I definitely hope to dip my toe into some of those things. That's the crazy thing, right? Yeah. The second something that is uncomfortable becomes comfortable 
it's almost like you have to start to go look for something else to be uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which is that it's always that that self growth. I mean, and I think that's part of also why I was ready to leave my past career, other than being super burned out. You'd done it all. Yeah, I I had hit a I'd stepped into management. There was nowhere else I was going to go within the VA system yep. that interested me at all. And I think that was part of it. I think that's part of what keeps my brain engaged. And I, I do think sometimes it drives my wife crazy because I'm like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? <laughs> And well, she's like, can I, we just sit here for five minutes? <laughs> as a real estate agent, though, you kind of have to be self-motivating all the time. Yeah. So you have a self-motivating personality. That is, that's good stuff right there. What's the best place for folks to find you? I, I can be found. I mean, my phone number is always good, which is on my website, amyromberg.com. Easy to find. Amyromberg.com. I love it. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can find us at spade-archer.com. Our music is written and composed by Joff Metz. You can find him at Five Star Guitars with an S.com. It's not Five Star Guitars with an S, it's Five Star Guitars. Dot com. You can find him there. Our editor is Richie. He does a fantastic job. Thanks so much for making us sound intelligent. I appreciate that. You can find us at spade-archer.com. There's an instant pricing tool there that gets you a price within five minutes for your next staging project. They are the world's first guaranteed home stager. Amy, I so appreciate you taking the time. And we look forward to seeing you next time behind the yard sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.